Hello, this is episode 105 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. My name is Rob Woods, and this is the show for anyone who works in fundraising, who wants ideas, and maybe a little dose of inspiration to help you believe in your fundraising idea, raise more money, and really enjoy your job. This week, if you've ever wondered about the potential for fundraising through cryptocurrency, but not known where to start, or whether it's even worth the effort to explore the idea, then this is the episode for you. Because this time, I'm delighted to be able to share with you the first half of my recent interview with an innovative fundraiser named Nicola Gunn, who is Director of Development and External Affairs at Edinburgh Dog and Cat Home. Nicola and her colleagues have been taking deliberate steps to understand and work with cryptocurrency communities in the last two or three years. And I was so pleased to hear that their hard work has been paying off in terms of fundraising results. I'll let Nicola explain how this journey started, share some examples, and her advice for anyone interested in researching this topic in more depth. I learned so much from Nicola in our conversation, and I hope you find it as helpful as I did. Hi, Nicola. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So I've been really excited about the chance to talk to you because this is such an interesting topic, and yet I think it's one which many charities and many fundraisers just don't know very much about, and that can be a barrier. And I hope we can help with that in certainly today's episode, and and maybe it'll actually turn into two episodes. But before we get into cryptocurrency and how it can help fundraisers and charities, if this is the right thing for them to enter into, in terms of context, what's the name of the charity where you work and what's your role? So I work for Edinburgh Dog and Cat Home, which is a very old charity, will be 140 years old next year. And my job is the Director of Development and External Affairs. Great. And it's not a tiny, tiny charity, is it? But neither is it a massive organisation with lots of resources Roughly, what's the size of your charity in terms of annual voluntary income and and how many colleagues do you have? So we need to bring in um, around £2 million a year, give or take. So quite small in the grand scheme of things, but not tiny. And altogether, we have around 50 staff. Obviously, the majority of the, those staff are our frontline staff, our kennel and cattery team. And our fundraising team, we... We're growing a little bit at the moment, but we have around kind of 13 members in our fundraising team across all our different income streams. Right. And I was fortunate enough to sit in a session at the Chartered Institute of Fundraising Convention a couple of months ago, and I just learned so much about this interesting topic from you and your colleague. And I thought that it would really help our listeners to hear some of what you said, uh, including the fact that your hard work has been paying off, the risk you've taken, the, the, the doing the legwork to understand this niche and then do what it takes to build relationships and work with people who'd like to give in this way. It's really been paying off. And yeah. in a moment, we'll get on to some of that story because I think that's as valuable to our listeners to, to give them hope and belief yeah. um, as some of the practical hows of the thing. But I think with this topic, before we get going, if, and I appreciate that some of this might be really obvious to some of our listeners as to what these words mean, but if we assume that many listeners are as unaware as I am, could you just set the scene in terms of what some of the fundamental terms mean in terms of cryptocurrency, blockchain, NFTs, and so on? 
Yeah, I think the benefit is here that out of myself and David, my colleague, normally do these things together, and he is very much the technical expert. Um, I'm very much just the fundraising person. So when I explain things, hopefully they will be really basic because I only understand them on a very basic level as well. So cryptocurrency to begin with is a digital currency. There are many, many digital currencies out there. And the main one that most people will know about is Bitcoin, but there's others like Ethereum. There's literally thousands of them, some of higher value than others. And the the kind of whole ethos of digital currency is that it's decentralized. So it's not managed by a central organization like a bank, the way that our, our fiat currency is. I and mean, I'm sure most people know what fiat currency is, but that's our, our, our mainstream currencies like pounds, dollars, all the rest of it. So that's cryptocurrency. Um, blockchain. Um, blockchain is a digital ledger where all transactions are recorded. And that is what cryptocurrency is built on, is the blockchain network. That's about the extent of my knowledge on blockchain. So I wouldn't be able to explain any further on that. David's very good at that. The other things that we will probably talk about are token projects. Now, what I refer to as a token project is people or a group who are trying to build their own cryptocurrency. So it's just another word for their own cryptocurrency. Lastly, I think we will also be talking about NFTs, which are non-fungible tokens. Most people, if they've heard about NFTs, will probably know them in the context of digital artwork, but they can be used for many things. But a lot of people will have seen digital artworks that have been bought and sold through cryptocurrency over the blockchain. Board apes are, are a good example of that, that many celebrities um, have bought. But in the future, there's a lot of other uses for um, NFTs, such as the buying and selling of concert tickets, for example, or even physical products, but using NFTs and the blockchain as a contract that will be digitally held. So I think a lot of people who are in, on the NFT scene see a big future in the way that we buy and sell using NFTs as contracts. Again, that's about the extent of where my knowledge goes with it. So hopefully that was that helped a little bit with the basics of it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for starting there so that hopefully as we go on and tell the story and we hear your advice about how this can help charities raise funds, some of those words have been placed in context. Yeah. So later on, I would like to hear a little bit more about the NFT side, because I know that your charity has succeeded in raising funds in that way. But as I remember it from your presentation the other day, the story started with the token projects side. So could you take us back to whenever it was two or three years ago when your charity started to become interested and dip its toe in the water? Why was that and what happened and what did you do? And basically, you know, what was the journey you've been on? So I joined Edinburgh Dog and Cat Home in 2016. And it was around that time where I remember seeing an article about a couple of charities starting to accept cryptocurrency. One of those being Save the Children, another one of those being the RNLI. And it really piqued my interest because I thought, well, that's really innovative and um, something I've not seen or heard of before. And just kind of at the time said to our director of finance, that's something we need to kind of keep an eye on. But at that point for us, I was new in the role and my job was to come in and diversify our income streams. We were very over-reliant on legacies and there was a lot to do just generally to get our fundraising set up. We just weren't in a position to really think about it at that point. But it was always in the back of our minds, I would say. We were always watching what, what others were doing there. I think it was fair to say at that point, these charities that were doing it weren't proactively fundraising from crypto. They had it available for people to donate. But I don't think they were going out there and looking for partnerships or actively kind of fundraising in that space. So 
that brought us to obviously the pandemic. Not all of our income streams, but the majority of our income streams took some kind of hit. We restructured our organisation and we were looking for new ways to fundraise. And we were actually contacted by a journalist who was based in Edinburgh. And he also just personally had an interest in cryptocurrency. And he was part of a cryptocurrency group who wanted to make a large donation to a cat charity, but they couldn't find a a charity that looked after cats that accepted cryptocurrency. And although he was from Edinburgh and he was part of this group, they were a global group. They weren't all from Edinburgh. So... We weren't in a position to take crypto at that point, but he told us that the donation was $30,000. And obviously that passed us by because we just weren't in a position to take it up. However, what that journalist did was give us some of his time to explain what cryptocurrency is, how it can be used for philanthropy. And at that point, we decided to start doing a bit of research into, okay, could this could this be a thing? Could we start raising funds from cryptocurrency? So... My main concern around accepting cryptocurrency was the security around it, it having a, a wallet. Because to start accepting cryptocurrency, all you need to do is set up a wallet. However, from an organisational point of view, the security around passwords and hacking and who has access and if somebody moves on, all of that kind of stuff was a big concern to me. So I started hunting around the internet to see if there was any kind of platforms that accepted cryptocurrency. I thought there must be one out there. There was a few, but there was only kind of one that was quite well established that was specifically for charities. There's a lot that charities could use that are for businesses, but one that was specifically for charities. So we decided to get some information on them. And they were also really helpful in in enabling us to kind of understand some of the the do's and the don'ts and the and the how to engage with the crypto community and all of that kind of stuff. So from there, I just generally did more research about crypto, wrote a paper for our board, which went to our board in May 2021. And they asked all the right questions, but ultimately signed off a one-year trial to us signing up to this platform. Now, I didn't make any promises that we would actually raise any money because I didn't know if we would. So it was very much make this small investment into setting up in the platform. We'll see what happens after a year. If we don't make any money, then you know, we can scrap it. It's fine. But if we do, then maybe it's something that we can consider carrying on. They signed that off. And over the course of the summer, we onboarded with this platform and we were able to start accepting cryptocurrency donations from kind of mid-late August 2021. Fantastic. So really well done for doing the research and having the courage of your convictions to take it internally and position it as a pilot rather than as a all guns blazing massive strategy. Would you fast forward to the point at which you really discovered you were onto something? Yeah, so it didn't take very long. I would say that when we started accepting crypto, my mindset was very much that we were going to raise some money from individuals and it would be, you know, maybe hopefully high volume, but small amounts. Or it would be, you know, the value of 10, 20 pounds, maybe 50 pounds. And maybe we would find some people who had made a bit of money in crypto that would donate more. That was really where I thought we would be raising money from. When we looked at launching, we we talked about, okay, how are we going to launch this? How are we telling people? Because actually how many of our current donors are or people who invest in cryptocurrency we just didn't know so we did all the usual you know we launched it on our social medias and in our newsletter and things like that and we saw a couple of donations come in but it wasn't until the start of September when I was actually on holiday 
and it was our development manager that supported with with the kind of onboarding of everything and was kind of alongside me taking the lead and in, in doing all of this stuff and it was the first day of my holiday and Carolyn phoned me and she said look I know you're on holiday but you're you're going to want to hear this we've just received a very large anonymous crypto donation it was actually of the value of 28,000 when we got it. By the time that we withdrew it, it took, it took a day or so because it was our first big donation. Um, it was worth 26,000. So that just shows the volatility of crypto. So we thought it was anonymous donation, but we actually found out that this, although they'd made the donation anonymously through the platform, they'd actually tweeted about it. So it had actually been a, an NFT project, which was our first one, um, who I think it was the end of their project because after that they'd sold all their NFTs they made their donation and then they were kind of inactive after that. So there wasn't much really engagement with them. But that kind of showed us, oh, OK, maybe we're looking in the wrong places, given that the person we spoke to who gave us some advice before we signed up was from a token project. And now we've had this donation from an NFT project. Actually, are we are these the kind of communities and people that we need to be looking at? So when I got back from a holiday, I basically spent the next probably two weeks solid of my life just on Twitter, <laughs> following every single cat-themed, dog-themed, rescue-themed NFT and token projects on, on Twitter. And just trying to find out really more about what they were doing and how they worked. There was one evening where I went on Twitter and there was one of the groups called Pothereum had started a Twitter Spaces conversation and I knew about Twitter Spaces. It was fairly new, but I hadn't ever went on one. Didn't really interest me personally that much. But I thought, you know, I'm going to go and listen to them and hear what they're talking about, see if I understand any of it. And they'd obviously been talking for 10 minutes or so already. So they were deep in conversation. And I joined and I listened in. And the first thing I heard them say was, we've actually set our cryptocurrency up with, to make donations, a percentage of all our income is to make donations to animal welfare and animal rescue centres but we're really really struggling to find animal charities that will talk to us about cryptocurrency everyone I think think thought it was a scam when they tried to get in touch with them or that will accept crypto so as you can imagine I just couldn't believe my luck I was sitting there going oh my goodness like there's something whether it's fate or luck I don't know but sitting there just very excited looked up who all the leads were and was DMing them on Twitter saying, hello, I'm from an animal charity and we accept cryptocurrency. Can we chat? And I think it was the very next day, either that or the day after, but we we ended up on a Zoom call with them. And it was so interesting because the founder is from Finland and they have members in Germany and the US and all various areas of the US. So it was just a really interesting group of people to talk to, especially trying to coordinate a time for us all to, to talk on Zoom. That was something as a from a local charity perspective, we hadn't really had to think about before. So we all got together and they were just so excited that a charity had contacted them because they'd been contacting all these charities and just having people ignore them or tell them to go away. And I basically said, look, we would love to, we would love to be your, your first partner. How do you want us to do it? Can we write you a funding proposal? How would you like it to work? And it was actually as much us guiding them as them guiding us because they hadn't worked with charities. So it was quite lovely that we were able to learn from each other. So they gave us a rough idea of how much they could potentially donate, but it was very 
in the air. We didn't really know. So I wrote them a fundraising proposal within 24 hours that had various options of different things that they could fund. And a couple of days later, I had a phone call from one of the team who was a charity coordinator at the time from a car park in Texas. He, he did a, a FaceTime um, meeting and he's like, I've got great news for you. We would like to fund the largest project in the proposal, which was to fund our pet food bank for the whole of 2022. So certainly within the two weeks of, of me going on that Twitter spaces, we had met, we'd had that agreement. We talked about, you know, what marketing and what we would do to thank them. We agreed what date they would make the donation on. And they called us and said, we've got a surprise for you. We've actually got one of our community, not anyone in the core project, but one of their community members lives really close to you guys. So we're going to send them to the home on the day of the donation so you can get lots of photos for press and things. I was like, that's brilliant. That's so good. Where is it that he's from? And he was from Wales. <laughs> so this was a guy who got into cryptocurrency over the pandemic. He's a surgeon in Wales and he took a flight up with lots of merch, um, loads of hoodies and mugs. Actually, I've got my mug here. Loads of these and everything else for the for the staff. Yeah, we did our press call and they donated 26 Ethereum, which at that point, the value of 26 Ethereum was around £87,000. So for them, obviously, they were talking about in dollars. So it was over $100,000. And we believe from the research, but can't confirm, but we believe it's the largest cryptocurrency donation in Scottish history. And we've not had one as big as that since, but hopefully um, in the future, there will be more of that to come. But just truly incredible for us as a charity who, as you say, not huge to bring in um, a donation of that size that quickly in a really innovative way it was just hugely exciting for us so it was, it was brilliant hi it's rob and i wanted to jump in quickly to let you know that if you're the manager of a team or if you belong to a fundraising team at the time of publishing this episode we're still accepting team memberships to our learning and inspiration site the bright spot members club to give you a quick sense of the impact that ongoing access to these resources can have here's what one fundraising manager shared about how the club has helped his team's results Hi, my name is Dan McNally and I've been a Bright Spots Members Club for over a year now. And what I absolutely love about the club is the practical ability to translate Rob's amazing sessions out into real life field fundraising results. When I was at the British Heart Foundation, we created a workshop based on Rob's corporate fundraising bundles. And within six months, every single person who had gone on this workshop that we developed had managed to secure one of their Dream 10 corporate organisations. To find out more about all the live workshops and training bundles that you get access to through the club, go to brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join. Or to find out about the valuable discounts available for teams, send me a message at events at brightspotfundraising.co.uk. But right now, let's get back to hearing about Nicola's experiences with cryptocurrency. Well, congratulations, Nicola, to you and everybody involved in doing the hard work and therefore, I think, earning the right to be lucky in these ways. And also, that must have given such a lift to everyone's faith that it was worth putting resources in this area and it's still been paying off since then yeah definitely I think just even going back to Pothidium I think it just showed for me it's a little bit 
at like sometimes we David and I talk about it of being like the community fundraising of crypto but it's also kind of the corporate fundraising of crypto and I think Pothium is a good example of that as they took us on as a partner not just for that one-off gift so they committed to future support um, and I think the amazing thing about them is that they just recognised how innovative we were being as a charity but we also recognised how innovative they were being as a cryptocurrency because they built in that ability to give to charity into the actual technology of their token. So they have since, um, I put another proposal to them at the start of this year, and that was for them to give us funding towards bringing on a digital role into the team. Because up until this point, it had just been myself and our development manager who absolutely love the crypto stuff. But to be fair, we are not digital people. So we asked them if, look, could you fund the first six months of this role? And then we would then continue to fund it ourselves. And they saw the innovation in that and they were really excited about it. And of course, we were really excited about it because we all know how hard it is to get funding, not just for a salary, but particularly for a fundraiser. So they committed to funding that role. And in February, David started with us as our cryptocurrency and digital fundraising manager, which I know there's a lot of digital roles out there, but I don't know if there's many um, fundraising crypto roles out there. So for us, that was just a really exciting moment because this income stream is something that we want to develop. And that's not all of David's role. He does you know, streaming and all the other things as well. But for us, it was just a really big moment. So it's been amazing for us, that partnership with Pothium and their commitment to helping us develop cryptocurrency as an income stream. And equally, the other side of that is that as part of this partnership, we also agreed to help them speak to more animal charities and try and get more animal charities understanding crypto. And we've kind of done that, but we've taken the animal charities part out of it. And we're just really talking to as many charities as we can about crypto and trying to, you know, have people understand that it's not a big and scary thing. Actually, um, for a lot of charities, it could be really worthwhile. So that's been the success with that. But it hasn't just been those two big donations. There's been lots of kind of little one-off um, donations from different groups. Um, and then smaller level partnerships as well. Most of those have been from NFTs, but there has been another token project called Saint Inu who have made a couple of donations in the kind of five to ten thousand pounds level. So um, again, it's going back to that it being a little bit like the corporate world. There's your smaller partnerships, there's your bigger partnerships, there's your one-off donations. So it's just finding them and speaking to them and finding the right person to talk to. But it certainly wasn't a one-off. There's definitely other opportunities out there with different groups. Yes, that makes sense. Just one thing I'm wondering, I don't know if the, the listeners are wondering, is that when you get the cryptocurrency, you don't then need to keep it as that and spend it as that somehow. Once you receive the donation that is easier and attractive for a cryptocurrency type person, as their way of giving, that's the point at which you convert it into what I would think of as old school money. Yeah. Could you tell us about anything that was interesting or useful about how you do that? Yeah, um, it's definitely about managing expectations, that one, I would say. Our policy is that as soon as we get a cryptocurrency donation, we convert it out to cash or to fiat um, within, within a couple of days. And that is purely because of the volatility. So anyone who is listening who does know a bit about crypto will know that this year has the, the market has taken a massive crash. So what might have been worth 
87,000 last year might be worth about 20 this year. So holding on to crypto is a big risk. It might pay off, it might increase, but also there's huge chances for dips. So as an organisation, that was one of the things that I, when I put that paper to the board, was I recommended that we would always um, withdraw straight away, which at the moment is still our policy. But that definitely comes with managing expectations. I think it's safe to say when it comes to NFT projects, when they make a donation, it doesn't really affect them if you then take that out into cash. It's a little bit different with a token project or a cryptocurrency project because if they make a donation, particularly a large donation, so let's take Pothidium as an example, they made that donation to us. When we withdraw that straight away, it affects the value of their cryptocurrency. So... It's basically telling them from the start, look, we need the cash to be able to pay salaries or to put fuel in our van or to pay our electricity bills. We can't do that via cryptocurrency. And there has been one particular cryptocurrency who we were really excited about potentially working with because they were very relevant to our cause. But actually, at the moment, the conversations have kind of stalled. And that's because the expectations for us to use their cryptocurrency versus us being able to convert it out to cash. We're just not able to come to an agreement and that's fine. But I think it's just understanding that some cryptocurrency uh, projects might be looking for you to keep it in crypto. And if that's not realistic for your organisation, then sometimes you just have to walk away and and that's okay. And that's what we've had to do on, on one occasion. So yeah, I think having your policies in order before starting to accept crypto is really important. That makes sense. And if we could just go back a bit to something I found interesting is that the nature of the people involved in the Porthurium community, you know, one guy was in a car park in Texas and then there was the founder in Finland and so on. Yeah. It seems to me that, you know, a charity has to weigh up all the, the pros and cons of, of this kind of strategy. But it seems to be a major advantage of it is that if it works out, it's enabling you to diversify from as a local charity from where most of your existing supporters are likely to be, which is really in a tight geographical area around you. And maybe a, a particular demographic of, of typical donor for this type of cause. Yeah. And I have a sense that a major advantage, if we can make this work, is that it really opens to a much bigger worldwide pool and maybe a different kind of person. Yeah, there's definitely a lot in that. And I think, so the first thing I would say is that People who hold cryptocurrency, I mean, there's so many people who hold cryptocurrency now, and it's becoming more and more mainstream, but the majority of people who hold crypto are kind of generally males in their 20s who are very tech savvy. But I'd say there is more and more of of females investing in it and different kind of demographics. But that's the main demographic of crypto holders. And they have a certain idea of how they want the world to be. And that's where they're attracted to that whole decentralization a lot of them really value anonymity which can be tricky in fundraising but a lot of them want to see change in the world and want to see better ways of doing things so you can see why philanthropy naturally flows into that and that there's a lot of philanthropy in the crypto world so that's the kind of person generally who we've dealt with so far and yeah it being people who are spread across the world has been really interesting because our donor demographic as an animal welfare charity in the east of Scotland as women who are aged 45 plus. Um, We rely very heavily on legacy income and to now be able to increase our donor base to a global donor base of of young people who 
have just very different ambitions and, and views and, and values has been great for us because it doesn't mean that we don't love our current donors, but we just have new ones as well. And we've been able to spread spread the net a little bit. Um, so, yeah, that's been been really important for us, I would say, is be able to see those those new people come in. And I would say it's interesting because if we were to go for a national corporate partnership as an East of Scotland charity, it's unlikely we would get it because we don't cover the whole of Scotland or the whole of the UK. These guys just don't care where you're based. All they care about is that their donation is making an impact. They couldn't care less that it's helping people in Edinburgh or Fife or the Borders or Stirling or whatever. They just want to see good happen and not once have they said that's not relevant to our community because it's in Edinburgh so I think that's been quite refreshing and that's that goes with all the projects that we've worked on not just that one it doesn't even cross their mind that this project is in a certain location in the world it's I think cryptocurrency because of the nature of the way the project projects are set up where, where most people are spread across the globe they're just very kind of globally minded they don't look at global support in this location or support in this location it's where their donation will make the most impact that they focus on which is very refreshing for us I think as a smaller charity. Thank you and clearly there's some big advantages there as long as we can make the other things work. So it's one thing again you sort of alluded to this already but before I heard you speak, I think I knew there were other ones other than Bitcoin but barely maybe a handful whereas the thing I've learned from you is there's a whole sector of people out there who are technically minded and in, interested in this topic. And there are thousands of people creating cryptocurrencies. And as I understand it, the source of the philanthropy is that many people who set up their own cryptocurrency, because they are entrepreneurs and they have the know-how to do this, it's just a, an established thing that there's a, a small percentage out of the profits made by the cryptocurrency that is for the ongoing admin and or marketing and or potential philanthropy. So is that where, in these success stories, is that where the money has come? It's not employee fundraising, is it? Where does the money come from out of a cryptocurrency project? Yeah, that you've absolutely nailed it in your explanation there. So, um, yeah, most cryptocurrencies will set up a small percentage of kind of tax which could be 1% or 2%, might be more, and that can go towards marketing their cryptocurrency because obviously if they want people to invest in it, they need to be able to market it. Some of them have paid staff. Um, most of the time in the early days they don't, but as they grow, a lot of them start to pay their teams to, to do things, so that's where salaries can come out of. But then that's also where they might build in um, charitable donations and things as well. So I think the interesting thing about uh, these cryptocurrencies are that uh, the projects are that there's usually a core group of people who are the what they call the core team and um, they'll sometimes refer to them as something else but they're the people who work on the project who are either building the cryptocurrency doing the marketing being the charity coordinator all the different roles and then they have their community and that's all the people who have invested in the coin but what you find is that the communities are very actively involved in making decisions. So there's a lot of shareholder votes, community votes, um, and that could be votes to do with, you know, what where they go next with the cryptocurrency. It could be what charity they donate to next, all sorts of things. So any genuine cryptocurrency projects will have their own website. Usually we'll have a Discord channel, a Telegram channel, they'll have a Twitter feed. But on their website is where you'll find things like their roadmap and their white paper. And that will explain what the point in their particular project is and what their values are and what they're looking to do. And generally, if there's any charitable 
aspects of it. Now, don't be put off if there isn't any charitable aspects of it. They might just not have thought of that yet until you get in touch with them and, and ask them if they've thought about it. But yeah, that's where you'll find most of the information is by going on their website and looking at their, their roadmap and their white paper. So it's quite interesting because it's a completely different world. But do you know, at the end of the day, they're all just people who, a lot of, it all happens online, but they are just people do, building a, an exciting new project behind behind their screens. So, um, and actually because they're so enthusiastic about what they're doing and passionate about what they're doing, most of the time they'll want to chat to you about it and tell you about it and help you understand it. So I have found personally that people in the crypto world are very generous with their time and with people like me who don't really get it, explaining how it works and and helping you grasp it, which is great. Well, I hope you found Nicola's story helpful. If so, and you've not yet subscribed, please do that today so that you don't miss out on all the other episodes we've got coming up, including the follow-up episode in which I share the second half of my conversation with Nicola, which includes what she's learned so far about working with NFTs. If you'd like to see a transcript and a summary of the episode, go to the podcast section of our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. Now, if you're an individual fundraiser who recognises the amazing power of learning for fundraising success, or you're the leader of a team and you'd like to get your team access to a whole library of my best training films, as well as our live sessions each week with inspiring people like Nicola, then do check out our learning and inspiration site, the Brightspot Members Club. You can find out more at brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join. Or to find out more about discounts for teams, send me a message via the Brightspot Fundraising website. If you found today's episode helpful, then please do take a moment to share it on with your colleagues or on social media so that we can get these ideas out to help as many charities as we possibly can. You can tag Nicola and I on Twitter. She is at NicolaGunn underscore and I am at Woods underscore Rob. We're both on LinkedIn. And finally, I'm pleased to say that Brightspot is now on Instagram at at Brightspot Fundraising. Thank you so much for listening today. Best of luck with your fundraising and I look forward to sharing more Bright Spot ideas and examples with you very soon.